security is something that many people around the world have always worried about. But now that restaurants are closing, many commercial farms are having to leave their crops in their fields to rot because there are no restaurants to buy them. This presents a large problem for the public, as the need for food banks grows larger than ever. After reading an article from Politico, I will discuss this question of food waste, as well as other questions surrounding this issue. But first, let's go over some key terms. Our first key term is surplus. Surplus is when the supply of goods, services, and resources exceeds their consumption, i.e. when there is an excess of something. The next key term is a trade war. A trade war is a conflict between two or more nations regarding trade tariffs on one another. These usually occur as a result of a country trying to improve its imports and exports, and can result in a country increasing the cost of certain imports if another nation involved refuses to make a compromise. The third and final key term is food stamps. Food stamps are provided through a federal assistance program that provides low-income individuals with a monthly stipend that can only be used to purchase food products. The funds are credited to a debit card at the beginning of the month, and the card can only be used at stores that accept food stamps. Next, I'll go over some key passages I found in the Politico article entitled, USDA let millions of pounds of food rot while food bank demand soared. The first main passage I found states, USDA's new aid package is aimed at cushioning the blow. The department says it will spend about $100 million per month on fresh fruits and vegetables, as well as $100 million each for dairy and cooked meat products every month for the next six months. The products will be sorted into variety boxes, reminiscent of the Trump administration's widely panned harvest box plan, which aimed to transfer a portion of food stamp benefits into a pre-selected box of shelf-stable and canned foods. This passage stood out to me as it outlines a feasible plan that the government has proposed, but not yet started, to try and support both farmers and people in need. While the USDA's spending does not seem to have changed in recent weeks, the fact that it has a new aid package ready to be enforced is a good thing, especially as it will be dedicating funds to buying produce from farmers who have lost customers in the restaurant business to the nationwide shutdowns. This aid package will also help those on food stamps, as it will ensure that those who need it will still be receiving food even if grocery stores are low on supplies. The only thing this aid plan needs is to be put into action by the USDA. The second main passage I found in the article states, we are super frustrated that they're not being aggressive enough, said Dennis Nuxall, a top lobbyist for Western growers. USDA has the money and the authority to buy several times more than what they've outlined, Nuxall said. It's a sound idea, but it doesn't match the magnitude of need. This thing is a joke, said DeMar, who listened to the USDA's recent briefing on the purchase program. He appreciates the department's intentions, he said, but quickly counts off the program's deficiencies. It's not clear how many companies are set up to pack mixed varieties of produce into boxes. What happens to highly specialized growers? If a business only grows tomatoes, will it have to go find other vegetables for the box, or will everyone sell to a third party? Most painfully, program simply won't be up and running in time to help Florida, where the season is winding down. DeMar's company, DeMar Fresh, has donated over a million pounds of tomatoes to food banks in this area, but he still had to leave some 10 million pounds in the field, he said. This passage struck me as important, as it shows the frustrations of the farmers who were being forced to throw away perfectly good produce, which otherwise would have been bought and used by restaurants. This section also shows some of the weaknesses in the USDS program, including it being too slow and not allocating enough funds. 
This passage is also important because it shows that the agriculture industry is trying to make a difference by donating their products. However, the amount of produce they grow is too much for local food banks to take in, and there are no other funds from the government to allow the farms to ship out their food to other areas in need. As I read this Politico article, one big question that stood out to me was, will this level of food waste continue when there are so many in need? From reading the article, it does not seem that food waste will continue to occur at the same level as it is now, but there will still be produce that is left in the field simply because the farmers cannot afford to move it. As the USDA has a plan on how they will begin to purchase produce from farms who have surplus and distribute it to supermarkets and those on food stamps, it is clear that within the next weeks or months, those in need will be able to have more food security, and the farmers who have had to leave their crops in their fields will have a place to send it to without going bankrupt. Overall, no. This level of food waste will not continue, at least once the USDA gets their program up and running, and there will be more funds and food allocated to food banks and the food stamp program. Next in the podcast, I will be interviewing Will Shear, an essential worker at a pharmaceutical company that has stayed open during this crisis. My first question for you is, what is your position at your company, and what does that mean, slash, what does normal work look like for you? So I'm the general counsel for my company, or sometimes it's called the chief legal officer, which means that I'm a lawyer working inside the company, so my only client is the company I work for. And normally my responsibilities include um, negotiating contracts with customers, negotiating contracts with suppliers or third parties that provide services to us. Um, I am responsible for regulatory compliance, which matters. We are in the business of um, making pharmaceutical products that are used by hospitals and physicians. And so we're a highly regulated business. So I have a lot to do with our compliance with the regulations that apply to us as a manufacturer. Um, and then there's um, the aspect of law that's referred to as corporate governance, which means how decisions are made internally um, within an organization, what corporations have to do to continue to be corporations sort of uh, procedurally, that sort of thing. Um, have a little bit to do with what you might call our risk management, which means insurance and uh, things that, um, um, policies, procedures, activities that can mitigate against uh, the risks that are inherent in the type of business that we do. So that's a bit of an overview of kind of my normal, normal scope of work. Thank you. My next question is, how has your role at your company changed during the pandemic? The COVID-19 pandemic has brought some pretty interesting changes to my role in the company. And um, maybe to try to categorize them on the regulatory side of things, because, because we make pharmaceutical products and we're highly regulated, it's really the, the US Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, that regulates what we do and how we do it. And so on, in that aspect, um, because COVID-19 is a healthcare crisis, 
that means that things we have normally made might not be in as much demand right away, whereas things we haven't made as much of or haven't normally made are all of a sudden in very, very high demand. And so the type of pharmaceutical manufacturing, let's call it, that we do is, is actually, in a certain sense, more regulated than just regular drug manufacturing. So we're, we're not able, we're not allowed to make products without crossing a bunch of T's and dotting a bunch of I's. And so we've worked with the FDA to, uh, to give companies like ours more flexibility to make different drugs right away that are in higher demand, especially at hospitals. So that's been interesting, the, the combination of being allowed to do more things more quickly than normal and then figuring out how to do those things because we don't normally do them. And it's all for the sake of really helping people who are sick who are showing up at hospitals and hospitals then needing more types of drugs and different types of drugs than they normally need. So that's been very interesting on the regulatory front. And then you think about, well, what about people just coming to work every day at, at a location that's outside their home when you think about shelter in place and stay at home orders and all of that. So right away, the, the type of business that we are, that we operate, was right away designated by the FDA as well as by Homeland Security as um, an essential business or others call it critical infrastructure for the national healthcare system. So right away we were we we knew that we had permission to keep operating and people could keep coming to work. So that was a front burner issue for us, but on the other hand, even if people are allowed to come to work from from that perspective, you have to keep in mind well what's actually safe for people coming to work. And so we're talking about back in the early part of March before I mean, we didn't no one knew very much at that point in time and so most people were trying to figure out what are the best practices to be safe and continue to operate without really knowing very much. So we had to put in place a whole bunch of policies and procedures internally for how people are allowed to come to work. What should they do when they are at work? What about cleaning the facility extra? What if somebody who's at work actually is sick? Or what if they think they've been exposed to somebody who is sick? So those really are either strictly operational questions or HR human resource questions that I wouldn't normally get involved in as a general counsel. But those things got added to my plate right away. And so that took lots of extra time, lots of extra um, thinking and learning and collaboration with others to put in place procedures that um, allow us as a company really to play our role as a, as a critical business or a or critical infrastructure and essential business. We have a role to play in the solution for our company while also helping people who work for our company be smart and safe and wise, but also just not just quit and stay home because they're scared of getting sick. So all those things kind of got added to my plate or my responsibility in one way, shape or form. And that added a lot. Um, and I think those are the main things that became new for for me in my role. Oh, the last the last thing is that a lot of the government funding that was suddenly made available for businesses to help get them through this short term period of maybe struggling to bring in 
revenue or make sales because everything was being turned upside down. So I had to learn a lot about the um, criteria and the eligibility for some of the federal government um, loan opportunities or, or funding opportunities that were being made available. Do you think your industry will change after all of this is over in terms of policies or suppliers? It's hard to say whether our industry will change after this subsides or not because, I mean, the obvious reasons are we don't know when it will subside, and we also don't know if it will be a gradual or, or a sudden subsiding. I mean, the onset was very sudden, but the, the uh, offset or the dissipation likely will be more gradual. Um, so really, it's mostly from a regulatory perspective. Will the FDA continue to allow us? We, we are a sliver of drug manufacturing called 503B outsourcing, which is very, very specialized. And so the rules are very specialized, and a lot of the rules are designed to make sure that we can't just copy what what uh, sort of normal, let's say, drug manufacturers are allowed to do. But what this pandemic is highlighting is the reason why Congress passed legislation to authorize 503Bs to exist in the first place only about six years ago. Uh, those reasons are being highlighted right now because we 503Bs are uniquely positioned to do things really quickly in kind of a specialty sort of way that really does serve the healthcare sector really, really effectively. And if done properly, it does it without compromising patient safety. So the pandemic is highlighting the ability of certain 503Bs to do that really, really, really well. And we, we're one of those 503Bs that actually already does things at a super high level of quality um, and safety. And so our, our hope is that the flexibility that Congress is demonstrating or that the FDA is demonstrating right now will continue. It's unlikely that it'll continue at the scope or the breadth of scope because the, the pandemic and the necessity will, will go away. However, some flexibility greater than pre-pandemic probably does make sense as long as we can be assured or as long as the public can be assured that we operate at such a high level of standards of quality that patient safety will still not be compromised even if we do have greater flexibility um, and freedom to, to um, produce products that are in need. So yet to be determined whether FDA will do much in that regard, but I think the hope is that they will. And then finally, what do you think the new normal will look like for the public? Or will things go back to how they were when all of this is over? New normal. Will new normal last or go back to old normal? Hard to say. I, I suspect it'll go back to old normal pretty, pretty soon because I think particularly maybe in U.S. culture, this type of thing is viewed as a problem that we can fix and eventually we will get our arms around it. And when that happens, it'll be most likely, um, you know, kind of a, a memory that, that recedes. 
somewhat quickly. Um, people are already, I think, pretty health conscious or pretty, pretty vulnerable to being fearful about health scares. Um, so I don't know that there's a huge change there once the problem is fixed. It's not like, it isn't like people are gonna start wearing masks just generally because it might <laughs> prevent the spread of germs or something like that. Um, I do think maybe, maybe this is more just personal and maybe a personal hope, but that people will recognize because of stay at home orders and shelter in place orders and the, the um, lack of choice for families, especially to be spending time together at home, that people might, whether, whether a member is the right word or not, probably isn't quite the right word, but people may notice, oh, when I'm not as busy and I don't have as many things that I can do and I'm just sort of forced to stay home, how much value there is in just families being together and remembering how to care for one another and the value of not living these kind of scattery, busy, on the go all the time lives because of the, the sort of the preferred value of a, a stable, you know, cohesive, together family. So that's more of a hope than a prediction, but um, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much for your time and for answering my questions. It put a new perspective on this pandemic. To conclude, we can expect the levels of food waste to decrease in the coming weeks, as the government takes steps to relocate produce from farms to food banks. There will also be resources made available to those on food stamps to make sure that they are well taken care of.